You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I am Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my podcast partner, Lisa Snare. Say hi, Lisa. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show. All right, folks. Today, we got an interesting episode where we're going to talk about creating and driving a positive company culture, which also leads us into how does it ultimately drive better results? But even more importantly, how do you attract and retain that top talent that it takes to kind of even have a, a great culture that executes? So really excited for our topic today. So to help us out with that, we have Dane Espigard, Division Manager at Vector Marketing, trainer of management, leadership, and sales professionals, and the recent author of The Dream Machine. Welcome to the show, Dane. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Excited for the conversation. All right, Dane. To get our audience to know you a little bit better, here's a little standard question to start. What is something that you're passionate about that those folks that only probably know you through work may be surprised to know? I would have to say I, my love for sports. However, I'm, I'm pretty vocal about it. And so both <laughs> playing and watching as well as a spectator. Good, good. Okay. Well, and uh, so you play sports yourself as well as watching them. Yeah, I find I'm a better human and husband and, and leader when I compete at something physically weekly. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Awesome. So on that topic, exactly. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, your story, your career, how you got to this place. Tell us a little bit about the background. Sure. So I'm, uh, I'm married to a wonderful woman named Brooklyn, and we've got two little daughters. Our oldest turns six tomorrow. So it's a big oh, week wow. in our household. Her name's Elin, and then I've got a four-year-old named Izzy as well. I grew up in uh, the Wisconsin area. And um, we just relocated about eight months ago down to Austin, Texas. And, and then so this year has been pretty exciting for that as well. Started my career, I call it a career, but my first job out of high school was with Cutco Knives. And, uh, and I've essentially been there ever since. So it turned out to be a 20 year, I've been there 20 years. So it's been a 20 year summer job for me. <laughs> and started out in, uh, Cutco presentations in home and paid my way through college at University of Wisconsin-Madison doing that. And then... Chose to pursue their management path post-college. I really liked the personal growth mixture that the company had created in terms of their culture. And so I stayed with them and kind of worked my way through the ranks. And now I oversee a six-state area, basically the states surrounding Minnesota. And um, I've been doing that for 15 years now in that role. And I do some real estate investments. And then uh, most recently, have been able to start consulting and speaking on dreams, which is uh, dreams and culture, which is really a passion project for me. Amazing. And that's a perfect segue because we wanted to talk a little bit about creating and driving that positive company culture. And particularly, it's been, as everybody knows, a crazy two and a half years. A lot of people had to go remote for the very first time. We're starting to see people come back, but we're also, companies are struggling with like enticing people back. So how do you go about creating that that positive culture that people, they want to be a part of? How have you gone about it in your experience? Yeah, you're totally right, Lisa, and that we're in this really unique time that I don't know if we've ever really seen before, where the old management strategies, I think, were outdated pre-pandemic. But none of that has worked during the pandemic as people have shifted at home. And now in this 
weird hybrid model where the company feels it's best to go back in person, but that the workforce says, ah, I kind of like this new lifestyle that I've been able to enjoy. And, and then that opens up a whole nother can of worms of now this company located in, let's just say where I'm at in Austin, Texas, is now competing for talent with every organization in the US and in the world because remote jobs exist in the plenty now. So what I think really makes a difference right now with company culture, I think, is having the focus on the individual. And there are plenty of studies that came out during this, call it the great resignation that's happened over the course of the last two years. And a lot of it has come back saying that the individual doesn't want to be necessarily labeled and just looked at for what they do, but they want to be valued as an individual. And it's a lot more difficult to do that in a remote culture than it is in person, right? Where we have the water cooler conversation, or we have the 20 minute, hey, how you doing on Monday or Friday or whatever the, those kind of random interactions. And so I think every organization needs to be much more intentional with how they're using their together time and what they're doing to try and create that engagement and environment. Because I was taught at a young age that people don't leave businesses, they leave leaders. And so a lot of this comes from the, what's the connection that they have to that organization? What's worked for us, I've been doing this for this specific culture since 2013. And uh, it wasn't on my radar that we had something special until a few of my friends outside of the Cutco world said, hey, what you've got's really unique. And I knew it within Cutco because of our results, but it was neat for other people not in the same company to say, that's really unique. You should be talking about that. So what's worked for us is we help all our employees create a dreams list. And then the interactions that we have with our employees and our team members is always about what they're doing for their personal lives. So Lisa, I'm not talking to somebody about what's your sales quota, what'd you hit, how much are you selling? But hey, Lisa, next quarter, what are the dreams that you have on your list that you're working towards? And then after that, it's great. How can we assist? And what do you have to accomplish here at work in order for you to do that, right? And so work becomes the vehicle instead of the obligation. And I think that's a really important shift. Yeah, it's kind of uh, going back to like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? It's how does this facilitate the lifestyle you want to lead? So it sounds really interesting that dreams list, it could be I want to own my first home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So and then you're having a conversation about like, yeah. Yeah, the stuff on the list, I think when people hear dreams list, it can sound a couple different ways. It can sound floofy, like out there type of stuff, right? It can also sometimes people think, I want to be a rock star. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sometimes people think it's bucket list things like all oh, these world trips, but we take people through nine categories. And so we really try and touch every area of their life from health, emotional and physical, financial, like buy your first house, family legacy, charity, adventure. So we really go through all of them. But the dreams that are on people's lists are small. Like, hey, I had a guy in my team recently do karaoke for the first time ever in front of people. That was on his dreams list. <laughs> cool. Right. So it's, it's, it was a small thing that he was able to go out and do on a random Thursday night. But for him, it was, I'm living, I'm doing something I haven't done before. And I think we all agree. It's like when we have stuff that's in the calendar that we're working towards, it brings us just more purpose, even if it's purpose of I'm excited for this week because of fill in the blank. Yeah. So it could be, I guess, just to double click on that a little bit. So it could be something as simple as karaoke on a, and that being a first to as large as I want to own a home or I want to, I've always yeah. wanted to travel to Croatia or whatever. Yes. So, but you, it sounds like you are encouraging people to choose 
dreams that are achievable in a certain amount of time. Is that correct? Yes and no. So it's interesting. A lot of my answers are going to be yes and no. In other words, I don't think there's any (laughs) wrong way to do it, right? So I think that when it comes to this, if somebody ever asks me, can I do this? I'm like, yeah, go for it. It's your list. (laughs) Our goal, our objective when I take people through this is to try and come up with as many things as possible. It's really an abundance exercise. And I think the difference between goals and dreams is that goals are, are kind of innately, when you think of goal, you're committing to that. In a dream, there's this kind of, there's this permission to put it down on your list and say, I don't have to do it. It just sounds cool. And maybe someday could I possibly. So we have people that when they go through this exercise, will have two to 300 things on their list. I've been doing this within my team for, again, like I said, since 2013. I have people on my team that have over a thousand dreams. There's not a thousand big things. It's a lot of small things like I want to go to this concert. I want to see this sports team. I want to And so what we do then is quarterly, we'll take a look at our lists together and say, hey, what are the things that we're individually working towards? And what that allows me to do as the leader, I find, is it's a lot easier for us to talk about organizational goals because I'm helping the individual accomplish their own goals and dreams, right? So it's not a one-sided conversation of like, hey, I need you to do this so that we as a team can hit this number. That's interesting. And then, so kind of last question about this before we kind of turn it back to company culture and how this helps drive that. So the dreams list, if you have, say, two, 300 things on there, as we all know, people's dreams evolve as they evolve. So if you want to remove things from your dreams list, is that a conversation or do you find you have individuals that do that on their own and with no explanation? Or are you encouraging that to be a conversation? Yeah, this is really what I love about this for a culture is it's not, it doesn't need to be an everybody together thing. So everybody in our team, they have their own living list and they're editing it all the time. Okay. So, I mean, I look at my list regularly. I remember at the beginning of the year, I, I was looking at a list that I had created on paper for the first time and I kind of lost it. I went back through it and I was like, that's not a dream anymore. You know, we obviously we change. And so there's a lot of stuff that I'm like, not interested in that. But um, having, as an employer, having access to my team members' lists is important because then I'm able to use that for incentives. I'm able to use that for Christmas gifts, for thank yous. Like when it goes to Christmas shopping for my lead team members, I'm not just randomly getting gift cards. I'm dream shopping. I'm going on their lists and I'm seeing, hey, what's something I think would be great for them? And, And I know that every dollar I spend hits exactly with what the intention was. That's very true, right? We're always looking for those things and sometimes want it to be a surprise. So we don't we don't yeah. necessarily want to ask, like, what can I get you? So that yeah, that's very true. So I guess like kind of flipping it back to companies making a shift that would help with positive culture change. Would you recommend that the dreams list be the first step they take or is there something else they need to put in place, a foundational thing? You know, as the guy who wrote a book on it, I'd love to say yes. (laughs) I think the number one thing is what I've seen with this culture working is it really matters on like who the leaders are and can they fully adopt this? And I think one of the mistakes that leaders make is they say they have this altruistic, like this is what our culture is going to be, but that's not necessarily like how they live themselves. And so it becomes inauthentic. And it's really difficult to get any culture to set roots unless the example is coming from leadership. And so my answer of what should an organization do if they want to shift their culture, I think, is get really clear on what the values of the leaders within that team are. I don't think that we're in the age anymore where one person can sit behind a desk and say, this is what it is. It's like people are so much more bought into something that they helped co-create, right? And so what I found with the dreams aspect is that they're creating their own. Our team culture is 
here at our organization, we work really hard so that we can live the life of our dreams and inspire others to do the same. Now, we happen to sell knives. And what I find is really interesting is like nobody comes to us and says, you know what, since I was five years old, I've really wanted to sell knives. I think my daughter's probably the only one that says that. <laughs> Even I'm, I'm like, maybe to reach a little higher than that. <laughs> but what it is, why we're able to retain so many people is because they're living a really excited and engaged life. And it's made possible because of what they're accomplishing and achieving while they're there. So Dan, so many companies these days talk about company culture, but so many kind of struggle and even defining it. So I kind of want to take a step back. So I'm bought in. We want to create a, a great company culture, but can you define what that means to me? Like, is it a set goal that we're trying to get to a billion dollars in revenue? What does it mean to have a, a thriving company culture? Yeah, I don't know where I heard it. And I'm obviously not the one that came up with this, but it's culture necessarily what somebody reads from a podium or, or at the head of a memo or something like that. But it's the way that people describe what it's like around here, right? And so it's really like, how do you get the true temperature of what somebody's culture is? You ask the team members. You don't ask the leaders, right? You ask the team members. And so when I think about what culture does, yeah, we want to have benchmarks. We're a sales organization. We have benchmarks for sure. But what's neat is that when we're talking about living a life of your dreams, which is what ours is, it allows us to, like, we're already speaking the language of stretch goals, right? And so underneath this whole live the life of your dreams are questions that go in line with attacking large sales numbers, such as the whole way of living of how can I? So with the dreams mentality, well, hey, if you write it down, there's people that do that. It might be really hard and you might look at it and say, I don't think I could do that. But the question is, well, how could I do it? And so what's interesting is, and I, when I really noticed this is when the pandemic hit and the people on our team immediately shifted to, well, we got to figure out an entire new way of doing our business. We went from in-person kitchen table presentations to Zoom presentations and our sales went through the roof. I've been here 17, 18 years when that started. And I remember being like, I don't know. I can't see our way through. And what was neat is that all of these people that are on my team were so conditioned to solve problems that this was just another problem. So the dreams mentality is essentially problem solving. Hey, I want to go on this trip. How do I finance it? How do I find the time off? How do I make sure that my role at work is still like all of these things? That's a problem to solve. And so I think that if we're really particular in some of the column bullet points of what the culture is that lines up then with achieving large numbers. One of the things that we talk a lot about is here at, in our team, we're called the North star dream team on our team. Everybody's a work in progress. And that allows us to be focused on the Dan Sullivan, Ben Hardy book gap versus the gain, right? It allows us to be focused on the gain and not the gap. And I think that's a really important thing when it comes to company culture. Awesome. In my career, I went to work for, a, at the time, it had already just gone public, so it's hard to call it just a startup, but a smaller company. And we had a great kind of culture in the company, and it wasn't because management said we were going to be X, it's because we all kind of pulled together in a common goal. It was kind of like being in part of a sports team. We want to win the championship. And we want to help each other get there. And as we got bigger and I got into leadership, I lost my way a little bit at the first year because it was all about hitting the numbers. But that second year, after a good kick in the hiney, I came back to, hey, we all got different goals. And how do we get back on track? And how do we help each other? Like some of us don't want to travel. Some of us have new kids. 
I mean, young kids, uh, right? How do we help each other with those things so we become a better team versus not? And I love that time there. It's funny. You talked about COVID and a big change. We're all about optimizing revenue. We do it through this value selling framework, which we train and coach on. And when COVID hit, all these workshops and activities that we normally always did face-to-face and preferred it that way, canceled, postponed, I should say. Hey, we're just going to have to push this out because we just don't know. And we're like, okay, we can wait till this all turns around or we can do something about it. And we all got together, totally redesigned the way we deliver the workshop in a virtual Zoom environment. And I got to be honest with you, I wish we did it years ago. This has been wonderful. We've had some of the best years not sitting in planes and hotels and taxis and being much more productive than we have and still delivering an amazing experience. But we had to change the way we were doing things. And we and I kind of think like that we had a culture that was willing to do so, w- willing to adapt. You know, basically, part of it's probably without it, we weren't going to survive. But we also, you know, all pulled together and got outside of our comfort zones to make it happen. And we learned from each other, which was awesome. So along those lines, I guess I got, I'm thinking about a couple of different avenues. I'm kind of going all over the place. But let's go back to something we brought up earlier about culture and COVID and what's happened. Hey, for a lot of companies, it's also been really nice to work from home. And it's a hot topic these days. I hear about it on CNBC and how organizations are struggling to get employees to come back to the office. And Dan, I'm torn. I'm on the fence. Because part of me is the, hey, we pay you for a job. Part of having a culture is seeing you face-to-face in the office and building that job. But then it's the other part of me. If I'm honest with myself, my whole career I've traveled. I haven't been, I've never been the guy that goes to the same office, but I've simply able to create those experiences where I got to know my coworkers, my managers in different activities that created that bond and culture. So I'm going, look, it's not about being in the office five days. Heck, it's not even about being in the office two or three days. It's really about experiences, how do you get people to work together? And I love your perspective. So in this work from home, not work from home environment, how do we create opportunities to build a better culture? Yeah. And I think that's the million dollar question right now that all organizations, if they're not asking, need to be asking. Because as a business owner, it's not what I want. It's what do employees and what a top talent want? And I'll answer the question directly. I was just like an off the grid backcountry uh, camping trip, hiking trip last week in Montana. It was with a couple other guys. And one of the guys owns a, like a political ad agency company in out of Washington, D.C. And we were talking about hiring and top talent and that type of stuff. And, and he said he listed a what he thought was a pretty good job and an ad for the job. And he got two applications and he was just dumbfounded. And then he went back and he put the word remote in there and he got over 100 applications the next week in one week. And so it was literally that one thing. And so it's not what we want. It's what is the top talent that's out there wanting? And they want that flexibility and the autonomy to be able to work from wherever. And so what do we need to do to make sure that we still have strong culture? Because the second that the job becomes just a paycheck, that's when somebody is one month away from quitting or a great offer from somebody else who's 10% more, right? Or something like that. And that's not a good situation to be. And the pandemic showed us truly what's your culture like? Because if, you know, when that all happened, if it was just a paycheck, those people had the opportunity to jet real quickly. 
right, to go pick up something else. So I think that it's looking at all of the interactions that we have with our team and saying, what can be done solo? What do we need to facilitate to make sure that when we get together, these things happen? And I think the the way that we do meetings matters. A mentor and a friend of mine named John Berghoff, who teaches something that's called the OXC, the exchange method. It's all about how to run more efficient and, and more connected meetings. And he talks about how there's not Zoom fatigue isn't a thing. And uh, he said, I'll use a softer word. He said, it's crappy meeting fatigue is what it is. And so the way that we design our meetings to be more interactive, the whole, we're all going to get together and one authority is going to talk, that doesn't work online, right? Because we all know we could be doing a million other things online, disengaged, right? I got this over here. And so the idea of way more collaboration being needed. And then when we are in person, we shouldn't be teaching. We shouldn't be doing that stuff in person because we can do all that online. It's just like the education system. Do I need to go to a classroom to learn or could I just do it all on my own? And should it be more experiences? And so for us, what we've moved to is that when we're together, they are almost all, I would say it's close to 100% of the time that we spend together is an experience. And it's an opportunity for us to have high high moments, if you will, together as a team. And so when they think of seeing each other, when they think of going to something, they're associating their team and their company with these high experience moments. I think that's very different than I got to go to a meeting, right? Or obligation. I want to try and shift everything from obligation to something that I'm really excited about going to see X, Y, or Z, right? These individuals. And so I think that's the job. It's a totally different role than what we needed to do in the past to think about, right? In the past, it was just like, is there going to be some food at the meeting? Is there maybe some coffee? Does everybody have that cover? Right. And now it's how do we facilitate pizza? Yeah, all of that. And it's just, it's a very different situation. I like your focus on experience because I, I think about points in my career that it's kind of accelerated. It usually because I went to battle on a deal or something with some other folks in the organization that gave me an opportunity to shine and learn. Right. But that's really experience. That's not meetings. Right. It's going to battle. So I like that. Hey, another big word that kind of goes along with building company culture these days is companies wanting to create a growth mindset. What do you think about that? How do you encourage that a mindset or a mentality like that in an organization? Yeah, it's all, I absolutely agree. And if I can facilitate the, that mindset developing within my organization, so many problems get handled right? Because if I'm talking Uh to my individuals Uh about being growth-minded and growth mindset, and they're hearing different things, whatever that may be underneath that banner, well, then every problem becomes an opportunity, right? And we get this whole opportunities to be like, oh, hey, here's a problem. This is my opportunity to shine, right? And I think that's really important. Where I think, and I'm going to say management or leadership can run into an issue, is if we are recognizing results or lack thereof of results, instead of the growth. And I think that as a leader, if I want growth mindset, I need to be recognizing effort and not being, not ignoring results, but I need to be recognizing effort. What we appreciate appreciates, right? So if I want somebody working really hard and finding solutions, those are the things that I need to be recognizing sometimes more often than the result. And so if I have somebody on my team, I want to, hey, 
let's talk about your performance. This is what we what we were after. You didn't quite get there. You got to here. But let me talk about some things I thought were really great and how you did this. You were reaching out for help all the time. You weren't waiting for us to come to you. I saw you reaching out to this person and this person. That's something that's really important in our culture is going out and finding the answers. I also want to add in that I think that this was whatever, some metric that this is much better than what it's been before. And I want to recognize you for that. So it's recognizing the growth, right? The gain and not the gap of here's what we wanted and you didn't get there. So that's all there is to it. And that's when I think people get kind of turned cold to the overall team mentality when it's a, all I am is a number. I love that because Lisa and I and the rest of our associates talk a lot about having the right behaviors, in other words. And so like your word effort, it's not just getting to a goal or getting to a piece of information. Do we do it in a way that is repeatable, that it aligns to even our cultures and our values and then giving people recognition for it? So I thought that was an awesome one. Yeah. I was going to say there's one other in its recognizing challenge. And so... One of the things that, I, that I'm really particular, and I think that this is this goes in line with the growth mindset, is do you want to be complacent or do you want to be challenged? And so I think it's easy when somebody gets a spot where they're like, ah, oh, this is frustrating, this is hard. My response is like, great, then you're exactly where you should be. Because if everything were easy, you'd be in the wrong position. You'd be in the wrong job. So if you're being challenged regularly, that's exactly where you should be. And you know what? I want you to tell me when you no longer are challenged because that means that you need a change, right? Whether that means a different role here, but you need a change. So I want you to feel challenged. So I know you're frustrated, but I also want you to look at that as that's a really good thing. You're alive. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that a lot because my career was mostly working with, uh, before, of course, going out on my own and joining with onto the value selling team, I was working with a lot of SDR teams. So the cold callers, the prospectors, like they were opening doors and working with a lot of people who are early in their careers. Maybe it wasn't, you know, their first job, but it was one of their first like professional jobs. And I used to always say like, okay, number one, you can control your effort. And going back to what you were saying about effort being recognized, like you can control your effort. So if I see the numbers, the activity is there, because I was always also a huge advocate for being a data-driven leader. So I see that the effort is there. And it's so much easier in sales because it is so transparent. Like all of our numbers, if we're like whatever systems you're using, whatever tech stack you have, all of your numbers are pretty obviously transparent. So if the effort is there and we're not seeing the result, let's double click into that. Okay. Are we contacting the wrong people, the wrong companies? Is the message off? Like, so then the data tells us where to narrow our focus in. But what you just said about challenge or complacent, that is a job that is a grind. We always joke that it's like rejection therapy. Sales is like that too, right? Like we get told no a lot more than we get yeses, right? So you have to be resilient and it is easy to get into a slump or like a depression around like, is anybody out there? Nobody's responding to me. Like, is anyone reading my messages or receiving my phone calls? So how do you like going back to it is I like what you how you framed it with like you're being challenged like being frustrated is good you're being challenged but I feel like sometimes in that place especially with the role that like I say that SDR role that frustration can lead to going back to bad habits like spray and pray like I'm just going to hit send on 3000 emails now because there is no one out there because I'm frustrated because I've lost the genuine curiosity that this role really requires to be engaged How do you go about making sure that that challenging place, that frustrating place is not where they get stuck? 
Yeah, I think that's a great question because it, the challenging place is where somebody can get stuck. So I think that the frequency of conversation from mentor to mentee is really what can make a big difference in here. And so if it's a set it and forget it with that person, they're going to get stuck, right? So I have to know if I'm sending somebody into what we would call a front, like I know they're going to be challenged by this. I need to be checking in with a little bit more frequency. Hey, how you doing? And then reminding them, we talk a lot about commit to the process, forget the results. And not in a, I don't care about the result that I get, but if we have enough knowledge and enough data, well, if this is the target, we know what the actions are that should take that. So we're going to figure that out. And then the goal here is to take the emotions out of it, right? And that's when, when we get stuck, it's when we're being emotional, not logical, right? So as a sales leader, as a trainer, as a developer, my objective then is to take kind of a peek under the hood to say, how are we doing here? Are we running on the engine of emotions or logic right now? And then my job is to maybe come in and remind them in a friendly way, like, hey, this is the work and it's okay to be frustrated, but what are you doing to get better at it? Right. And so what I try and recognize is I want you to be challenged, but we also constantly recognize their ability to reach out. And what I found with A players, they do that naturally. Right. And so I want to recognize that more. A B or C player, they don't do it naturally. And so I might be a little more aware of somebody who I just, hey, my A player, they're going to do that. I just have to connect them with these are the people that you want to be asking questions to. My B or C player, if I have them on the team, I'm going to need to kind of force feed that a little bit more, right? Maybe with some planned meetings or some one-on-ones to get them connected. Yeah, almost like over-communication. I hate to call it like micromanaging because that that's like nobody wants to be that person. But that was something that initially at the beginning of the pandemic when we had to all go remote. And I got to say, I was managing a remote team even before that. I had a team entirely reporting to me that was in a different office in a different city. But recreating some of what you were saying earlier about like water cooler conversations, like that, that spontaneous communication, I wouldn't always plan my meetings. I would just call someone up in the day and say, how's it going? What are you doing? doing? What's the, how, you know, to try to recreate that spontaneous communication so that it wasn't, like you say, there are people who hesitate. They think they're interrupting you. I don't really know. It's like my whole job is to support you. (laughs) So like, you're not interrupting me. You are my job. But it's one of those things where they hesitate to reach out as much as you say, like some A players would never hesitate. But like to recreate some of that spontaneous conversation, make sure that they know that I'm there for them. I would take that extra step and almost like over communicate, especially with those remote teams. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. So when you think about like retention, because now this is the other thing that's very top of mind. You see the headlines about it all the time. The quiet quitting or the whatever, following the dream, (laughs) whatever people are doing. I have so many questions about that because I'm like, what are you independently wealthy? Like, I don't understand. Um, (laughs) But when we think about like the retention piece of having a great culture, how do you go about making sure that your A players never leave? Yeah, that's, I think, and again, that's a really important question. I think it's easier to hire an A talent, A person, right, than it is to retain that person. And so we give a lot of thought to how do I get this person on board? And we give far less thought typically to what do I do to keep this person? And so, again, part of it is understanding in, in your experience or whoever is listening, in your experience, how have A people showed up, right? Because they are different than a B or C. So to retain them, what retains a B or a C? A lot of times it's just security and certainty, right? And there's a B and C that would be okay just staying in that same role for a long time. What I found with A players, if I want to retain them, they need to be challenged. They need to be able to see their path forward, 
And if an A person all of a sudden can't see what my next opportunity is, that's when they start to look somewhere else, right? A players are typically going to be more ambitious. That's a good thing, but it's a double-edged sword, right? Because I need to make sure that that person has more and more and more ahead of them. I also find being really direct with these people is really important. And so my A players, I'll check in regularly and just say, hey, Lisa, I know this is probably the sixth time you've heard me say that, say this, but I love working with you. I really see a huge opportunity for you here. And so I'm going to ask you the same question I asked you a few months ago. How are you doing? How are you feeling here? How's our relationship? And then also, what would need to happen in order for you to be excited to be here for the next year to five years? And I think that's the question, not what would keep you, what would keep somebody engaged? Because I don't want somebody to sleep at the wheel. I want somebody who's engaged and excited. I have found a lot of success with using dreams in this. And the reason is selling knives, again, isn't the sexiest job in the world. And it's, yeah, I know. And if I were to say, there's not like another thing for them to hit next year. And so it's really has to be like, we have to get that motivation from somewhere else. So if I have in the last year, for instance, I've had a 23 year old on my team who bought his first house at 21, bought a second rental property at 22. So for that, he's an A player. And so for this guy, he's young, so many different opportunities ahead of him. That guy, I'm helping him. I'm I'm actually building his exit, if that makes sense. Sooner or later, he's going to leave because he's going to amass this real estate. That's kind of what his objective is. But the amount that he'll contribute to our team during the time that I'm developing him will be so great compared to if we didn't have a guy like that. And so I really think it's part of that is being okay with developing that person in a really big way that might cause him to leave, right? Not having that scarcity mindset. Dean, that's so true. In fact, I think we talk about this in our coaching class. I think a lot of times leaders don't spend enough time with A players because they go, hey, they got it. They're hitting a number. I got to go kick these other Bs and C people in the butt because I need more production out of them. And what ends up happening is your Bs and Cs might stay, but your A players get bored because their careers aren't growing. And we should actually be doing the opposite. We should be spending more time with our A players because they produce the majority of our revenue. And you're right. You can't get so uh, engaged with it. My line was either, I want you to either push me up or push me out. If you want my job, I think that is awesome. Either I got to find a way to stay ahead of you, or I got to get out of your way. You're a better leader. I should work for you. And I want to be adult enough to be able to, to see that in someone because I'm going to help them in their career. But hey, if they're on to the next step and it's beyond me, Fantastic, right? This is what being human beings helping each other is all about. So love that. Hey, I know we're going to run out of time. So before we do, tell us a little bit about your new book, Dream Machine. Sure, I'd be happy to. So the book was written, again, during the pandemic after like the first four months, a buddy was that is an author was like, you need to write a book on this dreams concept and it needs to be out there. So I worked on it for a little under a year and we launched that book last fall in September. And that the purpose of the book is basically to be a full guide for anybody who hears this or anything else that says, hey, I'd like to set up a culture of dreams and and achieving dreams in my organization. And so I don't really hold anything back from it. And it's an A to Z guide of running the workshop to what do we do in between and how do we keep the dreaming going? So that's really what the premise of the book is. I'm giving away the book for free online so that more people can set up cultures around it. So if somebody goes to my website, which is just daneespagard.com forward slash free gift for 
free, I think it's free gift. Free gift or free book. I should probably know that. They can get a free <laughs> PDF version of the uh, of the book as well. I did it yesterday before you're going to charge me a bunch of money for it. So before this podcast comes out, <laughs> you become famous. You stop talking to us. I already downloaded it, Dane. I, I wanted to get ahead of the game. Right. Amazing. So, Dane, a couple questions we usually ask at the end of uh, every episode, but I'm actually going to throw a curveball and change the one that I usually ask. And I stole this idea very blatantly from Carlos. You've been with Vector for 20 years. You've said you've been at this summer job that lasted for 20 years. Can you tell us about something quickly that was actually your biggest screw up? Biggest screw up? (laughs) Nightmare story. Does it have to be within... Could it be you wanted to be with Cutco or with investing or what else? Your call. <laughs> Your call. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good one. I wish. Okay. So, <laughs> so there's two that come to mind. So I'll go fast. There's one that's Cutco related and one where I lost 125 grand in one month. So I don't know. They both maybe have some appeal for different reasons. <laughs> one, one was. With Cutco, I, I was newer in my career and I was a rising star. Things were going fast. I got a fast promotion to run a division at the youngest age of anybody at Cutco at that time. So I moved to Omaha and I didn't recognize the success that I had in my first year was a lot of, it was economically driven. And I had this false sense of skill in my first year in this new role and didn't recognize that outside it factors. And so what happened the next year is I massively and I didn't know this, it wasn't intentional, massively overpromoted the opportunity. And then there was this reckoning that happened that next year. And 2010 is the year. It was my most difficult professional year that I've ever had because I saw all these people's reality far less than what their expectations was. But I was the one that set that. So that was a really eye-opening and sobering lesson in leadership, which is temper the expectations, prepare right? Like crazy, but temper those expectations. The other one had to do with not doing due diligence on an investment deal that that came away, my, came in front of me. And I invested a, a large chunk of money. And uh, one month later, found out that the investment was a Ponzi. Oh. Oh. I had to have been the last investor. No joke. It was like three <laughs> weeks after my buddy calls and he's like, this is the worst call I've ever had to make. And he had invested a lot of money too. So, Oof. but I learned it was an expensive lesson, but I learned a lot of stuff from it as well. It took me a little bit to, to, <laughs> to mentally get over it, but it, uh, it was good. I've mastered the art of losing money. So I'm going to write more book on that. <laughs> we can talk about my failures in investing, but I don't know if we have enough time in the day. All right. Hey, one more question. We call it Acceleration Insights. Hey, uh, love your experience, love your perspective. What's that one piece of advice you'd give our listeners that would help them in achieving their own goals? Yeah, I think it's give yourself time and space to do some sort of exercise that has to do with dreams, goals, and your life. And what I find is that as I work with different companies over the course of last year doing this, we spend so much time helping other people goal set and design what they want to have happen that we don't give ourselves the time and space to sit down with a notepad and just say, what are the things that 10, 20 years ago I said I wanted to do before I had kids and had a mortgage and all this? And, and there's a way through, there's a way to connect that to allow ourselves to live an exciting life while doing the things that we are required or obligated to do as well. So just giving yourself some time and space to think about yourself. 
That was a good piece of advice. I got it early days of starting my own company was make sure you have time to work on your company, like work on your business, not just company, but the same kind of concept of like, take some time to really work on your life and where you want to be each week and not just work for clients. So that yes. I haven't always taken that advice. <laughs> I'll be honest, I'm still working on it. But yeah, it's really good advice. Thank you so much, Dane. This was such a great conversation. We're running out of time, unfortunately. But if a listener was interested in talking to you more about this topic, how would you like them to engage with you? Yeah, my website, there's an easy way on there. You could also find me on Instagram or LinkedIn. Those are kind of the two social media platforms that I'm most on, but it's just Dane Espigard. So it's pretty, pretty easy to find. Perfect. Well, can't thank you enough for being on the show with us today. We had a ton of fun. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa and Carlos. This has been great. I appreciate it. All right, folks, that does it for this episode. Please check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with your friends and family and dogs and cats and kids and get them off screens, go for a walk, go for a drive. And if you like what you hear, please do us a favor and throw us a five-star review on iTunes. Until next time, I am Lisa Schneer, along with my co-host, Carlos Noche. And all we do is think about you and your best successes. We wish you nothing but the best success. Hope you have a great year. Talk soon. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.